Accidentally in Love, Book 1, by Sarah Nye. I would do anything for my best friend. Well, almost anything. When she begs me to come on a weekend getaway so I can bond with her new boyfriend, I can't say no, no matter how badly I want to. After all, who will keep an eye on the guy? He's your stereotypical professional football player, emphasis on player. And I don't trust him with my best friend's heart. Worse, he has the nerve to bring his single best friend Davis on the trip too. Davis is too handsome, so funny and smart, he can't possibly be human. Grandma's babies and kittens fall for his smile. In fact, everyone adores him but me. What's he hiding? I refuse to fall for his act. At some point, he'll drop the good guy act and show his true colors. He's a player too. He must be. You know the saying, if he seems too good to be true, he probably is. That's The Player Hater by Sarah and I. Grab it now. Welcome back, lady listeners. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. We have Emma Bray with us this week with V-Day Auction. It is Valentine's Day week. I guess, yep. shit, yesterday. Yesterday. Was te- yeah, it was technically Valentine's, even though we're recording beforehand. Are you doing anything for special for Valentine's this year? No, my husband asked, the, like, the other day, he's like, hey, do you want to go to the melting pot? They have a set menu. And I was like, I don't want a set menu. I want to be able to pick my menu. <laughs> <laughs> a set menu is a lot of pressure. Yeah, I'm like, like you got to know beforehand what you're getting into. And yeah, I'm like, like I want to go pick what I want. Yeah, what if I'm not after. in the mood on the day of for the thing that they have? Mm-hmm, exactly. And, you know, I have this thing lately where I've, like, uh, I've started eating, and halfway through eating something, I hate it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it is. Like, the consistency of it's wrong. Really? Like, halfway like, through okay, eating something, I'm, I'm like, okay, I can't eat that anymore. I got to eat something no, else. I was eating chicken last that. night, and I was like, I got halfway through a piece of chicken, and I was like, I'm not eating chicken anymore. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna eat the baked potato. <laughs> I love a cut baked potato. I have, you know what? Baked potatoes never let me down. Oh, hold on. My microphone came out. Hold on. Let me write that down. Okay. I love a baked potato, though. It, you're right. It's never it's let me down. It's filling. You can add more cheese, add more butter, mm-hmm. add more sour cream. It's n- a p- baked potato has never done me wrong. Yep. Never. Like, she's she's a good steady friend. <laughs> We don't have anything planned for Valentine's. I actually printed off Valentine's emails for Thursday's episode when we record. And one of the ones, as I was printing it, I saw she said, we always go on on February 13th to avoid the rush. And I was like, that's great planning. That's actually mm-hmm. really smart. <laughs> that's what I tell my husband. Because every year I was like, do you want to go do something? I'm like, I don't want to do anything on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. I'm not going out there with all those people. Yeah, It's not happening. That sounds terrible. We have been together a long time. We do not need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait. Yeah, I know. I feel the same way. But, you know, I've kind of gotten to this point in my relationship where I'm not planning date nights anymore. I'm done. I have planned date nights for years. And I'm just yeah. like, I'm done. I'm done doing the dating. If you want to <laughs> go out on a date, you can ask me. I'm finished. Yeah. Just like, that's it. We're, we're, I don't care. We're not going to do any more dates. Whatever. 
I'll eat when I want to eat. <laughs> I like doing date nights in. I'm like, let's go stay in and watch a movie and do this. I feel like that's most nights for me. That's not anything <laughs> special. <laughs> Where I'm like, guess what? I'm going to bed. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, we don't have anything planned for Valentine's. <laughs> not that I know of. You know, he, Kevin's usually really good about, he'll get the kids stuff and like, you know, he'll Yeah, that's cute. He always gets the girls things. That's how he does. Like he that. gets like big stuff for him too. I mean, not like expensive, but like he got them these huge stuffed caterpillars that were like eight feet long and like Damn. this big around. I like that he's putting, he's setting this bar for mm-hmm. men to come or lovers to come, not oh necessarily men, but the romantic yes. partners to come in the future. He's setting that motherfucking bar up there. God, I hope they're lesbians. <laughs> I really hope that they are. But yes, he is setting the bar high, which is good. But yeah, he spoils them with stuff like that. They have a daddy-daughter date night or um, dance on Friday. The oh YMCA here puts on puts it on. And so Hallie picked out her dress off of Amazon. I was like, all right, let's just look. And it came in and she was like, this is going to be the most magical night. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's hanging up right here. You see it? Hold on. Yes, I see it. It's all blue and shiny. It's glittery. Look. It's like all fluffy. I'm trying to let the wrinkles fall out, but she didn't want Kevin to see it. So I told her I'd hide it in my office. She doesn't want that's adorable. And that was like her wedding. Are they dress. both going? <laughs> yeah, they're both going. Lydia picked out a new dress too, so but hers is just like teal and comfortable. She says, is there, is there one with like pockets? I was like, listen, you're a woman now. I'm gonna explain this to you. You're never gonna get them. <laughs> this is hey, your we're reality. getting more pockets lately. <laughs> yeah, they are getting better about it. So I just got her like this. She picked up this plain teal dress that's kind of like a jersey material. Enjoy it. They're growing so fast. I realized today I kind of got into it with Isabel a little bit because I wear something stupid. She didn't really do anything wrong. Like she got her driver's license, but her car stopped working for a second. The battery or something went out and she got it back Friday. So Friday she's driving by herself. And then today she's like going on a job interview. (laughs) And I am just like. Like, pulling back. Like, there's no reason to pull her back from this job interview. But I am. I'm like, what are you doing? You're going right now? You didn't even tell me you were going. Why are we doing this right this second? (laughs) Why are you being a responsible person? I don't like it. And somebody pointed out to me. I'm like, I don't know why I'm giving so much pullback. I was like, it's annoying. Well, now she's going to pick her own stuff. Because if she wants, like, a Starbucks or something, like, go spend your own money. And they're like, oh, so you're you're punishing her for going out there and doing it? Yep, for getting it on her own. I'm like, I don't know why I'm being this way. And they're like, because you're used to doing these things for her. You drive mm-hmm. her. You pick her up. You take her in places. Yeah. And now you don't. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, shit. I know. It's funny. Like, on Saturday, I sat outside with Lydia. We were selling Girl Scout cookies. We were out there for six hours. That's and it was like, it was she freezing cold. She can do that one cold. on her own. Do what? I said mine can do that one on our own. <laughs> I know, right. It was freezing cold. But, I, you know, we were talking and I said, you know, we talk a lot when we do that. So it is nice. Yeah. It's good bonding time that we talk. I said, you know, this is your sixth year selling Girl Scout cookies. And she was like, oh, my God, you're right. Because she started in kindergarten. And, um, you know, it was just crazy, like, the time that we've spent out there doing that, how fast it's gone. You know, yeah. and I don't know how much longer she'll want to do it, but I'm just like, I'm clinging to these moments because I just see it on the horizon, like what you're going through right now. 
You know, I'm listening to you talk about license and I'm like, does anybody want to sleep in my bed? Because <laughs> the other day Rob busted me like, sometimes I'll go in their room and I'll like pick up like making Peyton's bed or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's like, leave that alone. They have to do it themselves. So I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, sometimes when I do it, I just, I feel like a mom. I know. Yeah. It just makes me like feel like a mom for a second mm-hmm. when I go in there and kind of straighten their rooms up and organize stuff. Um, so this is a, a good point to say. I had the same conversation with Abby Knox the other day. Um, we got together, uh, there's the coffee house. I did the book signing at mm-hmm. on Friday nights. They do a writer's night and they closed the coffee shop at five o'clock. And there was like maybe a dozen people that went and they all sit at these long tables and they talk and write. And it's just like, it's really cool. And um, we had a great time. And on the way home, Abby and I got on the subject of, like, kids' chores and things like that. And we were talking about the chores we did as kids versus the chores that we make our kids do. Yeah. And so she said, I don't feel like they, like, I tell them to do things. She was like, I ask them if they'll help me do things a lot. And I was like, yeah, I can, I definitely see more of that. You know, and I was, I was doing something the other day and I was cleaning up the kitchen and my friend called me, and he's like, what are you doing? And so I'm just putting the dishes in the dishwasher. And he was like, you have kids. That's what they're supposed to do. Like, that's their job. And I was like, I said, yeah, but they're kids, and they have their whole lives to load and unload a dishwasher. You know, and yeah. I was just like, if, like, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you know, they help me out when I ask them to help me out. But do I make them do it every single time? No. Do I even make them do it every other time? No. <laughs> But it's just like one of those things that I feel like they're not going to go, they're not going to have kids not knowing how to load a dishwasher, you know, like they'll figure it out at some point, you know. So it's just like, they're they're only kids for a minute, you know. They're going to be a hot mess of dogs saying how to clean shit. No, right. (laughs) (laughs) But they'll figure it out, I guess. It's their mess. They're living in, so. Well, and another one of my friends, she always has a great way of saying things that makes me, like, think, oh, and her daughter's 16, and, you know, she's driving on her own. So I'm getting this perspective from moms with older kids, and we were talking at Christmas, and I was like, I don't know, like, I worry that I'm kind of spoiling my kids if I'm giving them too much or whatever. And she was like, oh, my daughter's absolutely spoiled. And I was like, no, she's a great kid. And she was like, no, she's a great kid, but she's definitely spoiled. Like mm-hmm. she said, but I don't mean it in a bad way. She said yeah. she gets what she asked for, She, but she's also a straight A student, has a job, like drive, paid for, you know, everything, like drives her own car, pays her insurance, like all this stuff. And she was like, she's super responsible. I've never had a minute of trouble out of her. She was like, so if she wants something really big for Christmas, I'll get it for her. And she was like, I'm able to, so why not? She was like, I think there's a distinction between, like, spoiled and bratty. Yes, there is a huge difference. I read an article about it once, and I was like, this makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, I get that. So... Uh, it, I just like that perspective. I had never really considered that before. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I like that. So my thing is, I can't, what is the word I'm looking for? The like, okay, let's say like the other day I went to pick up the kids from school mm-hmm. and like before they even get in the car, I already know I'm going to go cause I want Chick-fil-A. I'm like, I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A maybe swing by Starbucks and get me a coffee and head home. Mm-hmm. Like I already have in my mind, I'm going to do these things, but when they got in the car and Isabel was like, can we go to Starbucks? It, like, irritates me. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, I'm like, mm, 
Mm. Like, why don't you assume the this privilege. is what we're doing? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. it's, a, I worry uh-huh. about the privilege. Like, I was mm-hmm. already planning to do it, so why is it irritating me? Yeah, yeah. Like, and I couldn't imagine asking my mom all those years ago for <laughs> Starbucks every day. Yeah. And again, maybe that's just your perception of how it is. You know, yeah. maybe you're irritated for that reason and not because she's actually saying it is because like, I never had that privilege when I was a kid. I you just, know, I don't but, know. I think I worry about the privilege thing. I'm like, yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. We're fucking them up. Like, oh. like, for sure. There's no way we're not fucking our kids up. Yeah. Like, I mean, if it, you fuck them up by drinking too much Starbucks, I feel like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's where you failed. Okay, that's that's a place you can fail. That's that's one of the rubber balls that Nora Robert was talking about juggling. You yes. know, the, the, it's not a glass ball. Let that one go. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, like I said earlier, we have Emma Bray with us this week, and it's a V Day auction. We're going to talk a little bit more about her books in just a minute, but I wanted to ask, what are you reading? You're never prepared for when I ask that question. um, The Madeline uh, Moreland book. Oh, Melanie Moreland. Yes, Melanie Moreland. I read The Commander. We've been reading that series where, Mm -hmm. like, the first one was The Boss, where they get married, like, immediately. Yes. Such a good book. So good. I fucking love that. I can't remember what the The second one was. great on that, by the way. The first book was phenomenal. I love that Mm -hmm. book. One of my favorite books of last year. Then the second one came out, and it was just okay. But at the same time, it was just a different style of book, you know. In the first yeah. one, you get like this head mm-hmm. guy; he's like super obsessed, and you can't make that guy again. Where yeah. like the second one is like maybe a second chance romance, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's this a one different trope. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. just a different trope. So that one was hard to beat. So I was just okay. And then the third one, I really liked. I just had some issues with the heroine a little bit. I like other people to read it and give me their opinion because I'm usually so easy on heroines. They can do just about anything, <laughs> and I'm like, no. Nah, I have you having a bad day? Nah, she fucked It's totally fun. <laughs> so, yeah, she gave him some hard punches back. She's a sweet girl. Mm-hmm. You know, she's had a hard life. She gave him some hard punches back, and a few of them made me wince. But then as I let the book settle more, mm-hmm. I became more understanding. Like, when I thought it all out rationally and not mm-hmm. the heat of the moment, I was like, <laughs> okay, it makes sense why she did that. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed it. I would recommend it for people to read. I love Melanie Moreland, and your spot on the boss was fantastic. It was such a good read. And these are all in audio, too, so you want to grab them up. And um, then I read a Minaj, too, which, only because we'd been talking about Minaj. I was going to say, like, I can't remember the last time I read a Minaj. Yeah, and Sam Crescent popped one out the other yes, day, and I was like, of course, right. of course. And it was, it was a, not only was it a Minaj, it was a nanny book, but here's the best part. Yes. It was because he had custody of his niece. It wasn't his kid. <gasps> Oh, that's the golden unicorn. It is so hard to find a single dad that's not that is not their kid. Yes. So that that's was the one we wrote. So it was really it was sweet and easy. You know, they have the normal the the hero that does the pushback and the hero who's like all in a more funny, easy go. It was just one a with nice... the long skinny dick, one with the short fat one. <laughs> Every menage is like that. <laughs> so, yeah. I enjoyed it. It was a nice, easy read. I'll put both of them in the show notes for you guys. God. 
I am uh I'm listening to Mariana Zapata's uh All Roads uh lead here. I think that's the name of mm-hmm. All Roads. Um that's the only one I haven't read and it just came out in audio. I have the ebook, so I was kind of waiting cuz she said it was being made. Yeah. And I bought the ebook and I was just like, well, maybe I'll kind of thumb through it. I wait and then the audio hit and I was like, oh, like the gates of heaven opened <laughs> up. So, I've been listening to it. But I wanted to ask, what speed do you listen to on audio when I you listen? listen to, I know I listen to a faster one. Yeah, you do. Because I've been I around you with audio. I think it's 1.2. You're on 1.2. Is that right? Does that sound right? I guess so. I listen. I usually just listen to it on one because that's the normal one. But somebody messaged the other day and they were like, bump it up to 1.1 or 1.2 if you can okay. handle it. And they were like... It'll cut down on the time of her books because her books, you know, are so fucking long. I think it's like 16 hours. Mm -hmm. I bumped it up to 1.2 and I listened for a little bit and I was like, that's too fast. I can't keep up. So, I mean, I think even in my dyslexic brain, it's like, wait, what did they say? And I had to like slow it down and think about it. See, I'm different with my audios. I listen to audios of books I've already read. So when an audio comes up of a book I already read, I pick it up. So 1.2 probably doesn't like phase me because I kind of already know what's happening yeah true do you know what to expect but I did come I did do it at 1.1 and it changed it from like 16 hours to 13 hours and I was like oh wow that's a big difference that's a huge difference yeah but her narrator Callie Dalton is has a great voice but um the way her books are narrated they are a little bit slower when she speaks so some of her books are kind of drawn out in that way and so I I mean bumping it up was definitely the right call because it still even sounds normal even sped up a tiny bit so that's been nice but um I was talking to somebody today about um audiobooks and like books I read a long time ago and she said I'm not really in the mood for a romance right now she had read Colleen Hoover's book Verity and I haven't read that one but my friend did and she told me the whole book and I was like oh my god I'm so glad I didn't read it because it was just like her books are very emotional well and it's not all of her books are love stories and this one wasn't this was super fucked up i'll tell you the ending later but um (laughs) when we're finished recording but um so she was like well i just finished that want something similar she said i kind of want something fucked up and i was like can i introduce you to taryn fisher (laughs) (laughs) i was like i was like this is fucked up and then so i started talking about fucking shit i started talking about the opportunist Mm-hmm. And I was like, listen, I even looked it up. I read this book at the end of 2012. That's how long ago I read this book. And I can recall every detail of it. Because I said, this book fucking burned a hole through me when I read it. Because I had never read anything like this before. So like, for I those like of you. sweet romance. It's, it's like not, murder romance. No, this isn't. Well, there's not really murder. But it's No, just, I just meant like murder you romance. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like this one tears you up. Yeah. this You don't get sweet, warm, fuzzy feelings. And I was like, every character in this book, they're terrible people. And in the end, they're still terrible. Like, there's no redemption. But like I could not put it down. It was like a reality TV show where they're yeah. all rotten, but I can't stop watching it. And they're all like they deserve each other, you know. So, if you haven't ever read it, Taryn Fisher's book, um, The Opportunist, it's an oldie. Um, Like I said, it came out in 2011 because I just looked it up. But um, the opening, like the beginning of it, and it's in the blurb too, it's such a good hook. She is in an old record store and this guy comes up to her and introduces himself. And they start to flirt and they're talking. 
and they leave and I think he gets her number. I think that's how it starts. And she gets, she like, once he leaves, she's like, shit, because the guy is her ex-boyfriend and he has amnesia and he doesn't remember her and he doesn't remember that she fucked him over. And she's the opportunist. She's so selfish and she's such a, like, just a self-centered person that she's like, this is my chance to have him again, even though he's already with somebody else. And this is like years later. And it was like, he just completely blacked out and doesn't remember her. So, but there's three books. It's the opportunist, dirty red and thief. And the second book, dirty red is about his girlfriend. Her name's Leah, by the way. And that book, her second book is her side of the story. So it's a continuation. It's not the same book told over again, but it's, it's Leah's side of the story. And then the third book, you finally get his side of the story. And when you do, it is just so fucked up. And it, I have even an idea. Leah said, he never had amnesia. I'm not going to say. Oh, that's just my guess. <laughs> I've never read it. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it. But, um, but yeah, at the end of it, I remember being on the plane to Love in Vegas and we were going to a book signing and I finished that book, The Th- Thief, the third one, and I was sobbing on the plane. Have you ever read another book by her? No. <laughs> no, I can't. I don't want to yeah. feel that again. Yeah. <laughs> but but some was, people love that. I know. Some, some people, people want their, like, they're like, apart. rip my heart out. Make me feel emotions. That's why I always think reviews when people are like, no, reviews are for everybody because everybody wants something different. Yeah. What I love yeah. is what you hate. Mm-hmm. You just yep. never know. Yep. And somebody listening to this now is like, yes, I want. And that's like my friend that I was talking to, she was like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Downloading it right now. Cause it has audio on all three of them are audio. And the, I, I shouldn't have done it. I listened to them in audio. Like I went through and listened to the sample and I was like, fuck, I want to listen to these again. Like I want to do, I want to read them again, but they're a hundred percent not romance, but the story is so good. It's so twisted, yeah. but yeah. Anyway, so I just thought that was really interesting to go back and look at it again and be like, oh, my God. So, yeah, um, I think we talked about last week. You, I wonder if your, if your view would change. Like me, when I read that one oh, book, like years later, I'm like. For sure. I like, I would just be I'm like, so I hate angry. this book now. <laughs> I, or maybe since I was so upset then when I read it, because, I mean, it really did. Like, it just broke me. It was by the end of it. Like, I was so invested in them. And it's so tragic, and it's just like, oh, my God, like, sobbing through it. I wonder now if it'd be like, that was great, you know? <laughs> like, fuck those people. Uh, but, um, I don't, yeah, you're right. I wonder how it would be going back and, and doing it again. But I may – I always say this. If you want to try something like that, add it to your wish list on Audible. Because within a week, they're going to email you and say, your wish list is half off. They'll, they do that to me all the time. Anytime I throw something in my wish list – They'll send me an email saying half off to try to get me to do it. It's so crazy how that happens. Nice. Like they don't know. But um, I made a pound cake yesterday or Sunday. Yeah, that was yesterday. And it was it phenomenal. Yummy. It was so fucking good. Um, it was called a million dollar pound cake. And it's like this recipe is a cream cheese pound cake, which is like nothing fancy. Like this is just a basic one. But on the top of it, she made like this caramel sauce and topped the pound cake with like fresh caramel and toffee pieces and pecans. 
And it looks so fucking good. And when I made it, I, everything was perfect until I got to the caramel. And it, like, burned a little. Like, it was just a little bit too dark. Uh-huh. And I was like, I don't want a chance putting this on the pound cake and ruining it, you know? Yeah. I was like, we'll just have it without it. And it was still amazing without it. Yeah. But I kind of want to try it again now. It looked and, phenomenal. Even oh when you God, just popped so it out good. of that little pan thing, I'm like, damn, it already looks really mm-hmm. good. You know, Eagle turned me on to those pans. They're called Nordic Wear, and they make the fanciest, like, bunt pans and, like, any kind of pan. She got one with, like, they look like Christmas, ha- like, uh, houses, like little gingerbread houses. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, like, you put the stuff in it, and you turn it over, and they flip out, and then you just dust it with, like, powdered sugar, and they look like little houses with snow on them. They're, it it's looks so really pretty. pretty. It looked yeah. all fancy. It does look super fancy. I know. It made me look extra professional. Although it was really weird to cut it because the way the ridges were, it was like they were sideways. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to cut it, I was like, how do I just, I just chopped it down the middle. <laughs> but yeah, that was really fun. Anyways, um, let's talk a little bit about Emma Bray. Um, here's her author bio. I'll read that for you. And I know, Mel, you've read like everything. So I've read a bunch of her books. Yeah. I don't think she's been around too long. And I found her about a year ago. Oh, that's awesome. Emma Bray writes intense, steamy romances with possessive alpha males who'll stop at nothing to claim the women they want. Emma's insta-love stories are filled with heat, passion, and happily ever afters. I love that. Um, the book we sh- that she has for us today is V-Day Auction, which I absolutely love. The book bio on this, I, 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 I love it. I read it already. It's really fun. And yeah. easy. You guys are going to, it's a nice, sweet quick over the top romance everybody's gonna enjoy it i think what else do you, what else are some of your favorite books by her like all of got- her stuff has the same kind of formula it's like hero meets hero when like mm-hmm. she gets herself in a situation or he sees her mm-hmm. across the room and he is just in full pursuit and all of her books are usually around like 60 70 pages so you just get this like it's a nice shot before dinner or mm-hmm. i read a bunch on the beach when I went out oh, yeah. town last year, when I went to uh-huh. this uh, ocean house, I read like most of her catalog. I just kept popping them one after another. Cause I could read one. Like I'd go lay down on the beach for like an hour and I can knock one out and then go back up and not be like super invested in a super I long love book. That. I love that. But it was giving me like this nice taste of over the top yep. alpha male. That's perfect. When you can just sink into one real quick, go do something, do go back into it. Like just, in, I love that in and out, in I'm and sorry. out. I think you were going to read the bio and I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, no, you're not. No, you're totally fine. Because I asked you what else you liked by her. So you're fine. Um, I did want to mention that Claiming the Runway is, Runaway is free right now. She did want us to say that. So if you want to try something else for free after you listen to this audiobook, get Claiming, a, claiming the Runaway. And she's also doing her giveaway this week. It's a $50 gift card to make sure you enter that for sure. Um, Let's see. Um, Valentine is a no-nonsense business. Valentine is a no-nonsense businessman. That's his name. But a chance encounter with pretty little Victoria leaves him with more than business on his mind. The only problem, he doesn't have a clue who the cute little angel is. She bumps into him and then slips away before he's ever able to utter a word. Fate steps in when he comes across her again, but Fate is an evil temptress because his little angel is being auctioned, and there's no way he's going to let anyone else buy her. I love that. I love that. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's send him into the first installment. We'll see you guys on the other side. This is V-Day Auction. 
by Emma Bray. Read for you by Avi Page. One. Victoria. I can feel my feet pounding the pavement through the thin soles of my shoes. I don't know if Lyle is still behind me or not, but I'm not even going to chance a look over my shoulder to find out. Lyle is skeevy and creepy, and the way he looks at me has been putting a chill up my spine for years. He's the city's most notorious pimp, and as luck would have it, he also happens to be my landlord. Deep down, I think I was always afraid this day would come. The day when I would find myself out of a job and unable to pay my rent. The day when Lyle would ask for something else as payment. I saw his eyes light up when he came by for the rent this month and I had to tell him I didn't have it yet. I asked him for an extension, but of course he said no. He suggested I settle the matter of payment another way. He wants my virginity as payment. One boyfriend. I told one boyfriend, and now word is out on the street and there's danger for me around every corner. I'm 19 years old and still a virgin, and I only told that boyfriend because he'd been pressuring me to sleep with him and I kept putting him off. However, finding that out hadn't put him off. It had only seemed to make him more determined, so I broke up with him. That was at least three years ago. I haven't dated anyone since his betrayal. I don't have time for men anyway. I'm too busy trying to make ends meet. I round the corner and run smack dab into something hard. I'm propelled backward by the impact, and then I feel hands on my arms. I panic as I look up, but then I realize the hands are steadying me. They're the hands of the man I ran into. And good Lord, what a man. He's huge. He towers over me, and even though he's wearing a suit, I can tell he's ripped. His chest is broad, and he exudes power. My eyes travel up that broad, suit-covered chest, along a strong, clean-shaven jawline, and up to the brightest pair of blue eyes I've ever seen in my life. They're piercing me with their intensity, and my breath catches. I vaguely take in his dark, stylishly disheveled, model-worthy hair before I shake my head to break myself out of whatever trance I seem to be in and chance a glance behind me. I don't see Lyle, but that doesn't mean he isn't far behind. I need to make it to safety before he sees me. Sorry, I fling at the stranger, startling him further as I break from his hold and take off down the street once more. I need to hurry up and make it to old Agnes's place before Lyle figures out where I've gone. Valentine. What in the holy hell? My mind and body are still reeling from the literal impact that little fairy had on me. I don't know who she is or where she came from, but when she smacked into me and then turned such fearful eyes up to me, every protective instinct within me roared to life. Green eyes, long chocolate waves of hair that seemed to dwarf her tiny frame. She was such a little thing, thin and petite. And when I instinctively touched her arms to steady her, a jolt went through my system at the contact. She turned those wide emerald eyes up to me and her breath caught, those puffy pink lips opening slightly. She was the most beautiful fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. And like an idiot, I stood there all slack-jawed on the street and watched her run away from me. 
By the time I got my wits back about me and made a motion to go after her, she was nowhere in sight. Who was she running from? Is she in danger? The thought makes me want to roar. My eyes scan the perimeter, but I see no one who looks like they're in pursuit of anyone. My chest feels tight at the thought that I let her slip away. I don't know why, but I feel like I'll die if I never see her again. I run a troubled hand through my hair and blow out a breath. Fuck. I have all the resources available to a man, but how in the world am I ever going to find her? I have no name or anything to go off of. My phone ringing breaks me out of my stupor. I scowl when I see my business associate's name flashing across the screen. What is it now, Carmichael? I snap at him as I pull the phone from my pocket and answer him, my eyes still scanning the streets. I can't make today. Something came up. We'll meet tomorrow instead, he tells me matter-of-factly. I growl at him. Fucking hell, man. It's always something with you. I'm about ready to walk away from this deal just to save myself the aggravation of having to deal with the fucker. He just laughs good-naturedly like it's no big deal, which only serves to heighten my irritation further. I'll text you the address of where to meet me tomorrow, he says placatingly. I pinch the bridge of my nose as I drag in a deep breath to try to control myself. I swear to God, Carmichael, if you don't show tomorrow, the deal is off. He waves away my concern. Oh, you'll see me tomorrow. Don't get your balls in a twist. I growl again before hanging up on him, the disrespectful fuck. But the thing about Carmichael is he's got enough money to not give a shit. He's got even more than I do, and I'm not poor by any standards. Before I can even register what I'm doing, my feet take off in the direction the little fairy ran off to. I don't know how long I walk, my eyes peeled for another glimpse of chocolate waves and green eyes. But I never find them. Two. Victoria. I can't believe I'm doing this. But Agnes is right. The source of all my problems goes back to my accursed virginity. For some reason, men lust after it. It makes me unsafe in the world I live in. I'm always on guard, dodging lascivious, lust-filled stares, scared someone is finally going to try to forcefully take my innocence. Fuck that. I need money, and I might as well get something out of it. Girls like us don't have the luxury of waiting for Prince Charming, Agnes told me with sad eyes. She used to be a prostitute back in her day. I don't judge her for it. I know she only did what she had to do to get by, and Agnes is my only friend. You might as well get some money for it instead of having it violently taken from you for free or giving it away to some loser who claims to love you and will just leave you once he gets what he wants. I nodded, accepting her advice. Agnes has been around the block. She knows what she's talking about. She told me the address of this place and how she'd heard through the grapevine that they would be having an auction. The V-Day auction. Apparently, it's an auction held on Valentine's Day, and I don't even have to tell you what they're auctioning off. Women. Oh, it's not a sex trafficking ring or anything. All of these women are here voluntarily. They're probably other girls down on their luck like me. Girls who could use the money and are willing to trade one night of their lives away for it. But from how the owner's eyes had darn near bugged out of his head when he found out I was a virgin, I have a feeling they don't get many of us virgins. Which means I will be a hot commodity. 
And that's fine by me, because if I'm going to do this, I want to make as much money as possible. I might have decided to do this to keep some bastard like Lyle from taking my virginity. This might be my choice, but that still doesn't mean I'm not nervous as hell. I'm a virgin, for Christ's sake. The most I've ever done is kiss a few boyfriends. I've never even let anyone touch me down there. Oh, I'm no prude. I've read some books from the library. I know what the sexual act entails. I know the basic mechanics of it, but I've never done it. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't beyond nervous about it. This has been the longest wait of my life. I've stood back here backstage and listened as every other woman has been auctioned off before me. None of them were announced as being virgins, so I guess that's why I'm being saved for last. I'm the night's hot-ticket item for all the old pervs who dream of deflowering a virgin. I try not to think of it. My stomach rolls with nerves. I just might be sick if I'd eaten anything today. Instead, I've been waxed and groomed and styled all day, all courtesy of the auction. They wanted to make sure their prize mare was as attractive as possible for the bidders. I pulled the thin robe closer around me, as if it will do any good. It's gauzy and translucent to make sure the men can see the lacy white bra and panties underneath it. In fact, I think the robe was only added for aesthetic effect. It certainly does nothing to keep me warm or cover me. And now... A hush falls over the audience as the auctioneer's voice takes on a conspiratorial tone. My heart begins to beat faster in my chest. Lush and ripe, a delicate piece of fruit never before sampled, young and just ready to be plucked. I can almost feel the sexual tension radiating from the audience all the way backstage. My hands and legs begin to tremble. Oh God, what if I'm making a huge mistake? The money, I remind myself. Think of the money. Think of the financial freedom you'll finally have. Victoria! The auctioneer bellows my name with a dramatic wave of his hand, signaling for me to make my entrance out onto the stage where I'll be critically assessed and then bid on. I take in a shaky breath, and even though my legs feel like jelly, I somehow force them to carry me out into the bright lighting of the stage, where at least a hundred pairs of hungry male eyes are suddenly on me. Dear God, I suddenly pray, please let whoever buys me be somewhat kind. I'm silently praying that whoever gets me isn't a monster who will get off on inflicting pain on a virgin on her first time. I don't even care if it's a gross old man so long as he makes it quick and is somewhat gentle. I don't need someone who's into sick, kinky shit. I try to stop myself, but I'm trembling from head to toe, and I can't help it. I chance a look out over the crowd, and if the lustful stares and licked lips are any indication, my fear might only be enhancing their desire. They're like a pack of wolves, and I'm the lamb set before them for slaughter. Oh, Lord, what have I gotten myself into? Valentine my scowl has been permanently etched onto my face ever since I figured out just what this event is. Damn fucking Carmichael. Only he would have the audacity to have me meet him at a place like this. The fucker probably did this on purpose. He's probably getting some sort of sadistic glee out of yanking me around like this. Not only do I show up to what I find out is some sort of flesh auction, but I can't find the asshole anywhere. There are too many men in attendance here. 
I've searched the crowd high and low, and I'm just about fed up. Fuck this, and fuck Carmichael. I'm getting the fuck out of here. I turn and start making my way toward the exit when the auctioneer announces another pound of flesh up for sale. My lip curls in disgust as I take in all the lustful faces around me. Like these men can't have anyone they want with all the money they have? Of course, I guess that's the way of it for some guys. They get tired of getting anything they want, and they need to seek some sort of thrill to get pleasure. The taboo of the situation is probably what turns them on the most. I shake my head and hurry my footsteps, sickened to be in their presence. I heard the whispers of anticipation for the unveiling of the main event for the night, the Virgin. Many of the faces around me are old and graying, and my stomach turns at the thought of these men bidding on an innocent young girl. But that's none of my business. The way I understand it, all the girls up for auction tonight willingly signed up for this. Still, I can't help but wonder what would make a woman so desperate she would sell herself off this way. Victoria! The auctioneer bellows the name of the next girl. A collective hush falls over every man in the room, and my footsteps falter at it. I feel an ominous prickle run up my spine, and I can't help it. I find myself turning back toward the stage as if an invisible string is pulling me. All the blood drains out of my face, and I feel like I might pass out. It's her. The girl who literally ran into me on the street the other day. Her big green eyes seem even bigger standing up on the stage. She looks like a deer caught in the headlights, her face pale, making the pink lushness of her lips stand out even more. Her long chocolate locks fall around her shoulders down to her waist. It's covering her breasts, but I can make out a bit of white fabric peeking through. So she at least has a bra on, thank God. Her stomach is flat and dips in slightly at the waist before tapering down to gently rounded hips covered in a skimpy, lacy excuse for panties. The see-through robe flutters around her thighs, and I swear I can see her trembling from way back here. Victoria. Her name is Victoria. She's the most sensually innocent, beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I'm fucking furious. Why the fuck is she standing up on that stage, letting all these men ogle her like this? Then it suddenly hits me. She's the virgin. This girl who has haunted my dreams every single fucking night since she slammed into me on the street is the coveted virgin who's auctioning herself off to all these fuckers. Out of the corner of my eye, I see men adjusting themselves in their pants, their erections obvious, and I have to fight from tearing their heads off. My sudden jealousy and possessiveness is insane. It should startle me, but it doesn't. I just roll with it, accepting it for what it is. Since that day I saw her on the street, she's been mine. I've been searching for her, as uselessly as it may have been, and now fate has intervened once again. She's right in front of me, a second chance. Yet fate is a bitch that my little fairy is standing before a room full of hungry wolves wearing next to nothing and about to auction her cherry off to the highest bidder. I set my jaw and begin pushing my way through the crowd, striding toward the stage with purpose. There is no way in hell I'm going to let her do this. Victoria is mine. Three. Victoria.
As my eyes scan the crowd, I shrink back from all the lecherous looks I see on the men's faces. Oh God, this wasn't a good idea. Then my eyes suddenly widen when I see one man pushing through the crowd and making his way purposefully up to the stage. Oh my God, it's him, the man I ran into on the street. His blue eyes are burning into me as he stalks right up onto the stage. I'm frozen in place, helpless to move or do anything. The auctioneer is sputtering in obvious astonishment. Sir, you can't do this. You must... The blue-eyed stranger growls at him and silences him with a look before he grabs me and slings me over his shoulder caveman style, like I weigh little more than a rag doll. I vaguely register the sound of hooting, hollering, and clapping, as well as a chorus of murmurs of protest. I'm too shocked to even resist. Where the hell did he come from? What is he doing? Why do I feel inexplicably relieved to see him? Sir, the auctioneer renews his case with more firmness to his voice this time. You can't just take off with her. There are rules and procedures that must be followed. The bidding hasn't even begun. You can't just deprive other men of the opportunity at their fair shot. She's not for sale, he rumbles as he continues to stalk off the stage with me. I don't have a clue where he's taking me, but I find I don't really care so long as he's taking me off that dreadful stage. It's almost comical the way the auctioneer is trailing along behind us, still sputtering. But, but... Another man steps out of the shadows and blocks our way. He's almost as tall as the one whose shoulders I'm slung over, but he's fairer than him. Valentine, his smooth voice addresses the man holding me. Put the girl down, and I'm sure we can sort this out amicably enough. The man holding me, Valentine, curses. Fuck off, Carmichael. This doesn't concern you. Oh, but it does, the man says, widening his stance. I'm the one who runs this little auction, so unhand the girl and let's talk sensibly. I feel Valentine's muscles tense before he slides me down his front. I slide over every ridge of his rock-hard muscles before he sets me on my feet before him. He's tall, so much taller than me, and big, too. He smells of some sort of rich cologne, and it's intoxicating. My head begins to spin. I crane my neck to look up at him, and the rest of the world seems to fall away. There is nothing but his eyes burning at me like blue flames. His face is set into a deep frown, but his eyes seem concerned. For me? I'm confused, and not just a little shaky, especially when Valentine removes his suit coat and drapes it over my shoulders to help cover me. The man who Valentine addressed as Carmichael seems to have a gleam in his eyes as they flick back and forth between Valentine and me. Well, 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 he clucks. I see you have expensive tastes, my friend. The man standing protectively by my side doesn't speak. He just sizes up the man in charge of the auction, his jawline hard. She's not for sale, he finally grits out. I hazard a glance over at him, but I don't dare argue with him. I suddenly don't want to be for sale. I realize this was all a mistake. She's signed a contract, Carmichael states matter-of-factly. And as part of her contract, she is to be deflowered in one of the communal rooms where others can watch. Too many have already placed their bids to watch her lose her innocence. 
What? I suddenly speak up in alarm and see all the men's eyes turn to me. I had no idea about any of that. None of that was mentioned to me when I signed the dotted line. I was merely told it was a legal matter when I signed my innocence away. No one ever told me I'd be expected to let a bunch of people watch it happen. Valentine takes in my shocked expression and scowls. She obviously didn't know that, and she's not okay with it. Carmichael shrugs. It doesn't matter. She signed a legally binding agreement. She will be sold to the highest bidder, and then she'll make good on her agreement in the communal room. His voice holds a hint of a threat in it as his cold eyes flick to me, and I take an unconscious step closer to Valentine as menacing-looking men in black suits suddenly surround us. They're obviously guards or enforcers or something, and I swallow, turning fearful eyes up at my strange champion. These guys mean business, and I did agree to the deal. I never should have signed anything without reading it. I'm going to have to go through with this one way or the other. I see the reality of that settle over Valentine's face as well. He glances down at me and purses his lips, obviously conflicted. Of course, Carmichael goes on. If you want her, I could waive the bidding in favor of a private deal. But I'm afraid deposits have already been put down on the viewing. That part is non-negotiable. Valentine looks down at me with a torn expression. For some reason, this man seems to detest the idea of me being sold. But if he's so against this stuff, why is he even here? I chew on my lip nervously and release it when I see his eyes hone in on it, his nostrils flaring slightly. Victoria. He whispers my name, and the tortured way he utters it has my eyes snapping up to meet his. They're asking me a silent question and I feel my heart hammering within my chest. How is it possible that I can communicate without words with this man I hardly know? I know what he's asking me, and the fact that he's at least asking me is more than I ever expected to receive at an event like this. So I find myself nodding at him, a silent acquiescence. Losing my virginity to this man, my odd savior, would be much better than any of the alternatives out there. In fact, having him be the one to take me suddenly seems more right than anything else has ever felt in my entire life. Welcome back. Hey. So, like I said, make sure you enter this week's giveaway for the $50 gift card and claiming the runaway that's free right now if you want to grab that. And we'll have everything we've talked about today in the show notes. I'll even put... Yeah, all of her stuff that we talked about, a link to go right mm-hmm. to her KU books. Every all yep. of her books on Amazon, everything is in KU, and I'm also pretty sure everything's like ninety nine cents. Plus, mm-hmm. I'll put uh, claiming the runaway on there, so you can link real quick to grab that freebie. Okay, great. All right, I think that's, that's it. it. <laughs> Tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book, that's fine. Or you could sit back, relax, and unwind and read me romance. Read, read me romance.